and welcome to Galley Stories, stories of the Bering Sea and beyond, hosted by Mark Kaler. My name is Penka Jane, podcast deckhand and longtime listener. We'd thank you to subscribe to the podcast and leave us a review. Here's today's catch. Hello, guys, and welcome back to another installment of Galley Stories, stories of the Bering Sea and beyond. I'm your host, Mark Kaler. And today we've got a guest, the deck boss of the FV Summer Bay, uh, Nick McGlashan. Nick, how are you? What's today? up, guys? I'm I'm doing good. I'm doing really good. Thanks for having me, man. Oh, you bet. Thanks for taking the time. So let's just dive right into it, uh, man. Where were you born, and how, what got you started in fishing? Well, <clears throat> a lot of you may know uh, the island of Accutan. It's right next to Dutch Harbor. That's where I was born. That's where I was raised, and um, fishing has always been in. You know, it's in my blood. I mean, all of my uncles, two of my aunts were crabbers. My father owned and ran a crab boat for 30 years. So that's basically how how I got started in the industry. It's, you know, it's, I didn't really have a choice. It was like, you know, oh, I'm going to grow up and be a crabber. A lot of the, you know, kids and stuff in Accutan growing up, we all wanted to be crabbers. That was like our dream. A lot of kids want to be, want to be you know, policemen or firefighters. Yeah, I wanted to be a crabber. Well, that's a really small community. I mean, what would, how, you're, how old are you now, Nick? 31. 31. So 31 years ago, Akutan was not a bus. I mean, it's still not a bustling city. You know, it's a, it's a big processing facility, but what was the population? I think the, yeah, the population of the village of Akutan, when I lived there, maybe 90 people. Right, right. So you and and probably 80 of them are fishermen. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's, where, the, that's where the income comes from in Akutan. Yep. It's a uh, small fishing village with a big drinking problem. <laughs> talk, talk about being born into the industry. I mean, to be born out on Akutan where everything is about uh, subsistence fishing or, you know, crabbing. We, commercial yeah, fishing. we live off the land, you know. I grew up eating seals, sea lion, whale. Everything was harvested. That's how I grew up. I didn't even know, like, what milk was. Fresh milk in a gallon. Like, I didn't, I didn't. I didn't realize that you could buy chicken eggs from the store till I was, you know, a little bit older. I always thought, like, in the summertime, we just go harvest seagull eggs, and that's how we get our eggs. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah. And we had powdered eggs, and that was weird. I'm like, how did they get the well, seagull well, eggs? Wasn't your milk in cartons? Like, it was the stay fresh milk, right? The, yeah, uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. Shelf life of 24 years. You bet, you bet. <laughs> it's, like a, it's like a Twinkie, man. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so what was the first boat that you actually got a job on, and how old were you when that happened? My very first season on deck was on the Westling that was owned and ran by my father when I was 13 years old. And uh, that was like my dream come true, you know. I get to finally be a crabber. And and I worked with those guys that broke me in. Were, they had been fishing with my dad for 15 years, all old school guys, you know. And I was the captain's son coming on the boat. And my father at that time was an old school fisherman and he acted like it and he like I got yelled at, bitched at. I was it was not easy for me. It wasn't easy being the captain. No, and I like I would take time off of school to fish these crab seasons and the teachers would give me a backpack full of homework because I'd be gone for a couple of weeks. So when I was growing up in the Midwest a lot of families were like that. We'd have to take time off to go harvest or to plant. Yeah. And schools were understanding of that. Was it the same way in Akitan? 
Where it's like, oh, crap, season's open, we're going to miss three weeks or four Yeah, weeks it was like the teachers would all give me, you know, here's your assignment, do this assignment, this day, do this assignment. So I'd get a couple of weeks of schoolwork for math, English, science, history. And uh, I would do the homework, like, in between strings and stuff. Right. And let me tell you, a bunch of crabbers sitting around a table trying to help a little kid do his school homework, you know. Did you start out doing bait? Yeah, I started out doing bait. I did bait for a while. How, yeah. how long did you work on that boat with your dad? I worked with him from when I was 13, and then he sold the boat in the buyback in 2004 was the last season. And uh, so 2000, 2004. And then, and then I worked on the Arctic Mariner uh, for eight years or from 2000. Would be 2005 to 2011, I believe. Whatever that is. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And your, your first experience when you were 13, and you were finally getting on deck. You were super excited about it. Do you recall what that first trip was like? Yeah, absolutely. I could never forget it. I was <laughs> like, not only am I a 13 year old kid wanting to like, you know, be a crabber and stuff, just going through puberty, be going on deck, hey you know? yeah. <laughs> like these, the de the other, the older guys were just like horrible to me. These kids today got it so easy, and the captain was even worse. It was really hard on me, but you know, I th I thought that's how that's how things were. I didn't know any different. I just wanted to be a crabber. Right. And when I was, I mean. Like, I've always wanted to be a crabber. When I was a young kid, I was like six, maybe, I uh, told my mom that I wanted to be a crabber, and I remember her looking at me and saying, my son's not going to be a fisherman. I ran out to the Trident pot yard and stole a throwing hook and hid it underneath of our house. And when my mom would go to work and I'd come back from school, I'd practice throwing this throwing hook. As a six-year-old, <laughs> you, you know, bad, man. Yeah, but that was my that was my hopes and dreams, and I put, I like put so much effort into being this deckhand and living this dream that I've had since I've been a kid that I never really put any effort into living on land, mm -hmm. you know. Right. So uh, I've I've actually heard of you referred to as an old school derby style deck boss, <laughs> literally. Uh, I've heard you referred to as that. So that's probably where that comes from getting on there at the age of 13 and having these old gruff guys just treat you like shit. You know, yeah. And really beat it into you. Yeah. But maybe that gives you some of the work ethic that you got today. Well. Or maybe not. <laughs> you know, once I was, I was like this soft piece of Play-Doh with those old school guys and they just shaped and molded me how they wanted and it turned out like, you know, I do have this work ethic and I have this experience and this knowledge of crab fishing it's not going to go away, you know? Do you see yourself staying on deck? Ooh, tough yeah. question. <laughs> um, the older I get, the the more I realize how much I'm sacrificing being out there on the water, you know? It's like, oh, you could have a wife and kids, but, like, the boat's going to be your wife. You know what I mean? <laughs> right, yeah. Yeah, it's, uh, and, like, yeah longer I live, the more I think to myself, well, maybe the point of crab fishing is to not crab fish. You know, a lot of, a lot of jobs are like, well, you, know, you work here long enough, you go here, 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 and up, and up, and up, and like, oh, man. Well, you can still go to the wheelhouse. Yeah, 
you, you don't see that for yourself. Well, that's yet to be determined. Right. You know? We'll see how I feel tomorrow. I take it day by day. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's talk I think, about... You know, I think one of the things... I mean, I know one of the things that have... Like has kept me from the wheelhouse. I mean, I have the experience, I have the knowledge to run a to run a boat. But the demons that I face, you know, that I've faced in the past, talking about alcoholism, drug addiction, has kept me from doing so. You know. Yeah. Yeah. So. Well, you're over a year clean and sober now, right? It's I entered I entered recovery uh, November of 2016, and my my journey hasn't been perfect, but I'm doing really good today. Good. Good. Um, was that again going going back to being raised in the industry? Do you think that had an impact on on choosing drugs and alcohol? Did that impact your, or was it the money? Man, it's getting deep here, guys. Sure, we'll, we'll bring it back up. <laughs> no, no, I'm kidding. I'm, I'm an open book, Mark. Um, you know, and I don't alcoholism, drug addiction is a huge problem in that industry it's it's a well-known problem you know it's no secret that there's a lot of alcoholics and drug addicts in the fishing industry sure and you know i'm not sure like why that is i mean i have my own personal opinions maybe it's a pocket full of money that we leave the boat with it's all the hard work it's it's the fast pace environment it's a traumatic environment that we work in you know we're we're out there and bering sea just basically wants to kill us you know, when we're out there hundreds of miles offshore, you know, we're exposed to those kind of elements and everything's going super fast. You're always listening for a pump to like stop or you're like flooding, people going overboard, injuries, pot slamming. It's traumatic environment and everything's moving super fast. And then we remove ourselves from that environment and go on land and everything just kind of slows way down. And we're still mentally... Uh, how you do know, you pick this pace up. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah I so it's be hard to hard to adjust. My, you know, I think you know, I kind of feel like in the past, and a, a lot of you that know who I am have like seen my struggles on TV because it was played on TV. Watch me hit my rock bottom. Watch me come back, and like me focusing all my attention on being this deckhand, this crabber not putting any effort into living on land like that just kind of like my inability to live on land took away my ability to work at sea it was like this weird paradox that i never understood you know yeah. like what do you mean what do you mean i can't work on on the sea if i can't live on land that makes no sense <laughs> but that's what happened yeah yeah yeah, it was, it was the same back when, you know, I started in 92, and it was, it was the same, getting back with a pocket full of money, and it was party time. Yeah. So, uh, just, just, how, just how it was. So, um, now you've been, you've been in, obviously working as a deckhand as a, on a crab boat for a long, long time. Um, do you recall the scaredest you've been at sea? <clears throat> you know, um, I've never had any close calls as far as know boat the boat sinking or anything like that I've witnessed my fair share of injuries you know guys getting their fingers cut off and stuff these scaredest I have ever been as when my good friend Spencer Moore got ripped over the side of the boat and into the water you know luckily we got him back but that's usually fatal 
when somebody gets ripped over the side of the boat at sea. During crabbing? Yeah. And was it Opie's or King's? That was uh, Opelio's season last year. So cold. Yeah, the water was, I think the water was 31 degrees. And uh, he we got Spencer back fairly quickly. And I think he was in the water 90 seconds. And oh, his, super quick. His body temperature dropped like 3 degrees in those 90 seconds. Yeah. Statis- uh, statistically, uh, according to the U.S. Coast Guard, I believe, 90% of the people that go over the side of a boat while at sea are never seen again. Yeah. So, it's it's scary out there. Did you, you saw him go over? Yeah. Did it did it go slow-mo on you? Yeah. Like, I, like, I watched him at the rail, and I watched his, like, top of his body go down, and then I, like, yeah, it was, like, slow motion. I, could, I remember seeing the tread of his boots, the worn tread. His body was, like, it was, and he like slingshotted over the side. Yeah. That was the scariest I've ever been. Like, that was yeah. Just watching you, but so, yeah. yeah. I mean, he was, he's like my best friend. You know, it's going right <laughs> in your head, and you're thinking about you know, ninety percent of the time they're gone. Yeah. So how 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 was the reaction to getting back on board so quick? How did that? You know, as far as a man overboard drill goes, that went textbook. Everybody did exactly what they were supposed to do. And we got him back, like this. And we had some, you know, a funny story about that. That that was played on uh, Discovery Channel, season fourteen. But a, there's kind of a backstory to it. It's uh, I had my priest. Some uh, I'm half Aleut, Russian Orthodox. I had my priest from the Russian Orthodox Church come and bless a boat, and he spent a long time on the life ring, blessing the life ring. And then a week later, we're at sea hauling gear, and uh, Logic has a song, uh, I forget what it's called, but the lyrics are, I don't want to be alive today, I want to die today. And that song was playing. And as soon as uh, Spencer went over the side of the boat, the chorus switches to, I want to be alive today, I don't want to die today. And he was ripped over the side. And it gets a little bit stranger. The buoy number that ripped him over the side was number 13, which is, you know, supposed to be an unlucky number on a boat. And the life ring that the priest uh, took some time saying uh, blessing was the life ring that saved his life. Wow. It's wild, man. What a series of events. Yeah. I can't even respond to that. Yeah, it's... That was scary. Yeah, yeah. How would... Uh, what was his reaction coming back aboard? Just cold. <clears throat> It was, you know, I mean, he went over the side, we got the life ring to him, got the crane to him, lifted him out, and he's just like a wet cat, you know. It was a very, like, it took a while for emotion to set in. Everybody was, you know, pretty amped Adrenaline immediately, get him, get him, and Yeah, but once once we knew Spencer was safe and he went and got some dry stuff on, then it was just, like, traumatic, emotional. Pulling more pots? No, we shut down. Yeah, yeah. Too too close. Yeah. Too close. Danger close. Yeah. Yeah. So what about some good times? <laughs> <laughs> Save the good Let's times. Let's just go right over there. <laughs> yeah. Oh, a lot of good times. You know, there's obviously that big paycheck at the end. That's why we all do it, really. Mm-hmm. You know. Um, I, the most important thing to me, the best times are, like, are, uh, you know, the brotherhood that we that we have on the boat. 
you know, we break ourselves mentally, we break ourselves physically, and we get to know this, you know, the real person behind all these layers of things that we cover up to try to hide from other people, you know. Mm -hmm. So we get, we create this brotherhood, we have this camaraderie that's just incredible, you know. It's often compared to like a unit in the military, a small unit, just mm -hmm. band of brothers, as it were. Yeah. And you, when you're on a on a boat for that long with four or five people, you have to get to know them. Yeah. Or hate them. Yeah, one of the two. And when it's good, it's good. And when it's bad, it's really bad because that boat, yeah, you know, the summer bay is, what, 110 feet? But at the end end of the season, it's like a 30-foot boat, you know? <laughs> it's like, <laughs> right. can't hide from no one. Nobody. It's can't, you know. We, we miss out on a lot of the luxuries, you know, that we have on land. I mean... We have a limited supply of food, limited supply of water. You know, if something breaks, we can't just go to town, like go to the shop and get it fixed. There's, you know. Yeah, yeah, you got to be creative. Yeah, uh -huh. I mean, yeah, got. Yeah, it's a lot of planning, a lot of, you know. So you you you've been with Bill on the Kodiak, the Cape Caution, and, and then now the summer, and bay. The summer bay. And you, how long have you guys had the summer bay? It's been a couple years. A couple of years we've had it. Yeah, yeah. It looks like a nice boat. Yeah, Summer Bay is a really nice boat. It's efficient. The deck is set up efficiently. It's a gear hauling machine. You know, what about safety? Everybody required to wear uh, uh, PFDs. We're not. Uh, yeah, we're not required to wear PFDs on deck. Obviously, when we put a load of gear on, you know, guys going up on the stack are required to have one. But no, we're not one. When of those he went boats. over, did he have one on? When Spencer went over, uh, no, he didn't have a PFD on. Man, man. Yeah. Yeah. Cold water, uh, full boots, you know, and a lot of boats don't require it. Yeah. Um, I just had a, we did a Coast Guard, we had a Coast Guard uh, rep, Chris Woodley, on here a few weeks ago. And he just talked about the difference in guys wearing uh, PFDs and the, the number of deaths that, that just stopped because of them. You know, it's yeah, like, it's pretty incredible. Yeah. I mean, yeah. you know, and I don't, I mean... As fishermen, we're pretty stubborn men, mm -hmm. you know, and like, oh, like, put on this PFD, wear it full time. You're like, oh, this, you I'll know. wear it on the stack, but I'm not. Yeah. yeah. Uh huh. Mm -hmm. But what is, what is fishing given to you that you wouldn't have had? Man. Got some pretty good questions there, Mar. <laughs> uh, fishing has given me. In a short amount of time, a lot of life experiences, lessons, lessons learned. I mean, because of being a crabber, like I'm a welder, I'm a fabricator, I'm a mechanic, you know. I can fix a lot of things that, I mean, the work ethic, like, you know, I have a nice place, I have a nice car, you know. It's, fishing's given me a lot. What has it taken from you? even better question you know we sacrifice a lot to be out there you know I wouldn't necessarily say taken from me but sacrificed definitely um, you know I don't I don't have a family you know I'm 31 I have two kids one was you know one was born last <coughs> last month and um, you know I don't uh, I don't have like what a lot of people, you know, go to work, come home, take a shower, eat dinner, go to bed, wake up, do it again. 
it's like that's that's something that like is really attractive to me really you know a normal a normal life a normal nine to five and weekends yeah off like and... a lot of i was talking to somebody the other day and it's like man this just drives me nuts like like i just want something else like i'm tired of just waking up and going to work and coming home and i'm like that's that's my dream right there right there you know Where, whereas other guys look at, at your time frame and they say oh let's go to work for three months and get off for a month it's like getting that one month of decompression yeah right or in some in some guys cases it's one month of de- depression yeah or, you know just you know it's it's tough to adjust from the fishing industry lifestyle to doing nothing you know Mm-hmm. Everything's slowing down. So, what do you find yourself keeping busy with nowadays? That you're, when you're off. I mean, I know oh, you're I've, here in Seattle for a few days now. Yeah, I'm. I feel like, I, you know, last uh, after Red Crab, I had a couple months off, and I felt like I needed to go back to work just to relax. You know, I'm always on. I'm always on the move. I'm always traveling. I'm always, you know, on a plane somewhere doing something. Like, I like to travel. I like to see stuff. Um. I just uh, became a board member of a nonprofit in Linwood, Washington, called Courage to Change. So uh, they take addicts off of the street and get them back on their feet. And uh, so I'm be working with them quite a bit here in Washington. <coughs> uh, Why don't you plug their uh, their web address? Do you have it? Yeah, I can get it to you. Okay, we can do that. Um. So, so what they they just grab them off the street and. Give them a house and food and well, job training. Or? It's a nonprofit, and uh, I joined I joined the board not too long ago, and they they opened up all their finances with me and showed me where every dollar goes, and uh, like nobody takes a like a bonus, nobody's uh, paid a salary, nobody takes a paycheck. It all goes uh, to housing these uh, addicts off of the street. You know they're required to. Like, you know, take you ways, be clean, and just, you know, pay rent and stuff like that. Help uh, them get jobs, job training, yeah, and that kind of stuff. Yeah, I mean, they, they do an incredible job. They're starting to work with um, some of the treatment centers around the Seattle area. You know, because a lot of people don't have health insurance. They can't afford treatment, you know, and treatment's pretty expensive. So those are the people that, that we take in. Mm-hmm. Wow. Do you see yourself? Do you see yourself doing this in ten years? This lifestyle that you have now. If gonna, like if, in in my hopes and dreams, I kind of see myself settled down with a family, kids, a house, somewhere where I could be home, away from the Bering Sea. Wow, that's that's quite a change because you came up just wanting nothing but what you got now. Yeah. <coughs> Things change, don't they? Yep. What would be your suggestion for guys getting in? <coughs> well, if, yeah, like, some guys want to make a small fortune in the fishing industry, better start with a big one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <coughs> I don't, you know, I... Well, they can't just walk in and get on a crab boat nowadays. No. Job, jobs are pretty tough to come by good jobs are hard to come by there's some boats up there who's you know you won't make any money you'll work for three months bust your ass and you, you know the big money's hard to find now yeah yeah um opies were up this year right quite a bit 
Opie's went up forty-five percent or something. Yeah, so stocks are looking good. You know, I think as long as I'll see where my where my future is with the summer being Wild Bill, but I'm so dedicated and loyal to Bill. He's he's really stuck with me through some tough times. You know, I I went through a real rough time in my life and I didn't have really anybody to turn to anybody to go to and Bill you know a lot of people don't know that Bill sent me to treatment paid for my treatment you know he's like stuck his neck out for me gave me my job back you know and like he's definitely a father figure in my life and you know he's a good guy to work for so as long as he's as long as he's running the boat like I'll be working for him or if, or if he asked me to take the boat, to run the boat, you know, I don't think I could say no. <laughs> right. Well, it seems like every time I see you, you guys post something and you're together, it's yeah. always you're doing something family-oriented. Yeah. Cooking dinner or you're yeah. doing something together. Yeah. Bill and I, are, uh, we got a pretty tight bond. Does he, does, he lives down in Mexico or somewhere in the off-season? Yeah. Yeah. Go down there much? <laughs> I've been to, down to Bill's place once, but... Haven't been back. Yeah, I, Mexico's my... I love Mexico, man. Yeah. But I find myself on a fishing charter every time I'm down there. Yeah. I just want to catch fish. <laughs> you know, like, that'd be my... That's my dream vacation every year. Same place, same charter, same... <laughs> just, yeah. just where I naturally you know, want to be. Want to be. There's, there's still a lot of guys that go up to Dutch Harbor and want to, you know, make it in the fishing industry. And a lot of guys do. It's really difficult i mean if you go by the numbers statistically i mean your chances are better joining the nfl or like something like that there's there's what 250 maybe 300 people well there's in, only in 60 like, boats right yeah right. there's like five two, guys on them and nope nobody's getting the captain spot right, right. so there's let's knock there's, it down to four there's, there's like 250 people in in the world that make a career out of crab fishing you know it's out of like 7 billion, 250 of them make a career out of crab fishing. And that's like, you want to go and try to do that. Like, you know, I guess if your heart's in it, you, you'll do it. But have you guys ever answered a mayday call? No. Have you had to listen to one? No. Mm -hmm. This is, yeah. I've, the captains usually keep that away from the crew. Yeah. There's a, there's a big camaraderie though. You know, when you hear about. Yeah, a boat I mean, in distress or a boat that's in trouble or, or God forbid, and has happened, a boat that goes down. Mm -hmm. I mean, for example, where were you guys at when the destination news came out? We we're home. You, oh, were you? Yeah. Okay, so you were done. Yeah. You know, that destination going down was pretty rough. I, you know, I was friends with all those guys, and um, one of them was a cousin of mine. We grew up together in Act 10, so that really strikes home for me. But it's the crabbing industry up there is so small. I mean, everybody knows everybody, and everybody's known each other for years. And, like, and obviously there could be personality conflicts and stuff. You may hate this dude, you know. But if if the boat he's on is in trouble, you're going. Or it's like, you know what, it brings a tear to your eye every yeah. single time. Yeah, well, you, you, know? just, you just said 250 people. Yeah. You know? It's hard not to know all of them. I mean, yeah. after years and years and years of doing it, you're all offloading the same places. You're 
resupplying in the same places. Yeah. You're on the dock at the same time. Mm -hmm. You know, in often cases you're tied up next to them, swinging swinging gear across to them, or swinging yeah. groceries across to them. Or, yeah. You know, so it's hard to not have those interactions. You know. Yeah. Um, what What else would you like to say? I'm. I don't really. I don't know. Kind of enjoying my time off. We just got done with the Opies yesterday. Well, I flew into Seattle yesterday and already started on my other job. <laughs> it's like you know the fishing industry. Well, you can make is you can make a lot of money. You can work as much as you want. You know, it's just. I mean. Yeah, you're down here working on the SBS provider. Mm -hmm. What are you doing on there? Pretty much everything. I don't. You know, it's a. It's a decent job. I'll work as much as I want to work. Take some time off. Doing shipyard stuff. Yeah. 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 That, that that'll keep you busy. Yeah. It's last year we got done with the Opies, flew to Seattle, got on that that boat right away, and worked until the end of August, and then in September went up and started red crab. You know. Busy. Like, busy. Where do you make your 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 home now? I live in Oregon. Oregon. Yeah. Yeah. That's a lot of fishermen live in Oregon. Yeah. You know, uh, with my fleet, uh, my previous fleet, 20 boats, it seemed like, uh, I bet a quarter of them lived in Oregon. Yeah. Uh, yeah. One of my best friends, ch uh, chief engineer on the, the Northern Patriot, Derek Hart, mm -hmm. Oregon. Yeah. It's, re it's really funny in the crabbing industry. You could kind of like tell where guys are from based on how they work or the things they do on deck, you know? Like the Oregon guys all do something this way. Kodiak guys all do something this way. That's usually just fucked up. No offense or anything. <laughs> you know, Homer guys do things this way. You know, Seattle guys do it this way. It's really, it's really funny. Uh, we just had Muncie, uh, chief engineer off the Southern Wind on. He said, uh, you know, he's, he's a lobsterman. He comes from back east. And he says he's, the first time he was working on a crab boat, they told him to oh, go, get the, go get the bag lines. Go get the bag. And he says, hey, what are you talking about? He didn't understand because they call him buoys. Right. You know, and they, they, he didn't understand. Yeah. But that's just an example, a prime example of what you just said. From the area you're from, things yeah. are maybe called different or yeah. you handle things differently. Or... Yeah. It's it's pretty funny. Yeah. Yep. Well, uh, yeah, really, we, we, we can push for more time. For whatever. You can keep the questions coming. I don't, you know, I don't kind of enjoying this little break from work yeah well all right let's talk about some more of the times at sea so obviously obviously the scariest one was when he went over when he went overboard yeah right so what about some of the seas you've been in heavy seas yeah well, the bearing sea gets pissed off and when she gets mad it's she's ruthless you know and I don't really feel like anybody should be out in that weather. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like people aren't supposed to be out there. Boats really aren't designed to you know, be abused like that. And yeah. we do it every year on a daily basis, you Just know. Just keep pushing it. Yeah. I mean, one of the one of the biggest waves I ever remember taking was um maybe 10 years ago or something. I was I was fishing cod out of St. George and the processor was processing fish uh, there at the South Island of St. George, and we were in there offloaded. And whenever there's a wind that comes from the south, these uh, swells just stack up right at that harbor entrance. And there's probably 
we had 65, 70 foot wave when we're coming out of the harbor. And it took, like, like smashed off the sodium, dripped the deck apart. It was horrible. What a wave. Yeah. Yeah, we've seen boats come in uh, with their windows gone. Yeah. You know, it's steel bent. Yeah. I mean, she's no joke when she's mad. Water is the most powerful force Mother Nature has, you know. It's really destroy it carves rocks. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It carves rocks. I mean, it will crush a steel boat like a pop can. What was the first car you bought with the big wad of money? What was the what was the man? I went through a period of in my life where I really bought some cars. <laughs> <laughs> Not all legit money, but the, my very first vehicle I ever owned was a 1971 F100 custom with like 60,000 original miles on it. Yeah, and after that I bought a brand new Dodge Ram. This is all before I was 16. Right. <laughs> you know? You didn't have a license yet. Yeah. But you were living in Akitan still, right? No. Oh, okay. No, up I'm... there you could drive anyway, right? Yeah. There's no... Yeah, you can't drive a car in Akitan. Um, I, moved, I moved from Akitan to Dutch Harbor, and then, and then I moved out west to Atka. I lived there for a couple of years. You know, and then I moved... I've, Finished high school in Montana, went to college in Montana for for not very long at all. What were you what were you going to college for? I wanted to be an attorney. Yeah, I was taking advanced law classes and yeah. And then I'm thinking about it like I can continue on to go to school, get a degree years and years down the road, being all this student debt. And I was like this broke college kid, like man, I gotta go back to work. And I looked it up like the average. Uh, D- attorney in the state of Montana made like sixty some thousand dollars, and I was making so much more than that. Crab like, fishing, <laughs> yeah. What? Just I'm like, oh, well, this isn't gonna work. Yeah, I'm gonna be a crabber. <laughs> Mathematically, that's yeah. Work. I can't justify this. No, I gotta go back fishing. Just not. And then I, it. you know, there was a period in my life when I bought I bought five brand new cars. I had this. I bought this Shelby Mustang, and um, I was uh, yeah off the showroom floor and I wrecked it with 11 miles on it that really sucked what the yeah and I bought a brand new Ford Raptor wait, oh wait let's go back to the Shelby real quick what year was it yeah <laughs> uh, I bought it, was it in the new 2010 Shelby? was it the orange ones the crab or orange no uh-uh. did it have the number plate on it huh the number plate on the dash oh yeah I think so yeah they made a, a I think it was 500 of each color they did. Huh. This and one was white. Okay. Yeah, my, my brother's got 2008. Uh, like number 252 out of 500. Huh. It was, yeah, it was a fast car. And it was a six-speed manual. And I can drive a manual, but in a little tiny car with 700, miles. 700 <laughs> horsepower. <laughs> yeah, I wasn't, let's just say, I wasn't, like, um, sober. Right. You know, they're like, I bought the car, and they're like, I should come back. Things Later this afternoon when you're sober and then take your car. I'm like, all right. Cool, I'll be back. Yeah, yeah. But well, let's while we're talking about the subject again, what does addiction cost you? Oh man. That's a, we're going deep now. Yeah, let's go deep. I like it. Um, you know, addic- besides your 2010 Shelby. I mean, addiction has caught me cost me, I mean, aside from the legal problems, you know, all the Attorney fees, court fees, all of that 
I mean, the people that I've hurt, the relationships I've destroyed, you know? And... Like, Hard to rebuild those two. Yeah, you know? the Yeah, the people I've hurt, that's a big one. I mean, you know, all, what, what addicts, alcoholics don't understand is that, you know, it's you're you're not just hurting yourself you know you're hurting your mother you're hurting your father you're hurting people that love you your kids mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. has this rippling effect sure sure yeah so that's you know and it's definitely i mean addictions cost me well a couple of jobs while bill stuck it out with me and you know, did he fire you for a minute yeah Wow, and, then Bill did. Your, and then sent you to rehab. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, yeah. I actually got, you know, I worked on the Arctic Mariner for for a while, for quite a few years before I started working for Bill. And I lost that uh, job, really good job, great captain, because of my addiction. That was like the early stages of, uh, you know, my addiction. And, um, was that how it... Was that affecting you at sea? I mean, were you doing were you doing drugs at sea, <coughs> or was it just the? No, I wasn't. You know, I I've been an alcoholic for a long time, and I was always able to manage it and stuff. And I I didn't get into the drugs until later on in life, you know, my mid to late twenties. And um, I wasn't. You know, I wasn't able to handle it. Normally, you know, we party, we party, we go to sea work really hard, come back to town. I never really, uh, you know, did drugs or drank at sea. That was always, like, what we call sea hab, yeah, you know? Yeah, yeah. So, you know, that, but my addiction progressed to a point of where I could I could no longer work because I didn't have drugs in my system, you know? Mm-hmm. It's like, yeah. That was a really hard time for me to... To like be like, oh man, I'm this much of a drug addict. And right. I was, I was thought I could always manage it until, like, I became addicted to opiates, and opiates just like took me to my knees within a year. Yeah. You know, recovery obviously from something like that is not an easy process. No, it's it, it's not an easy process. You got to be consistent. You got to be disciplined. You know, got to have some drive, motivation. Mm-hmm. Keep yourself busy. Yeah. Because it seems like you're always busy. Yeah. Saw you were over at the memorial last night. Yeah. What were you doing over there? Or you were working on your boat over there? Well, I, you know, when I'm in Seattle, I like to go to the memorial, pay my respects. I have, you know, I have several family members on that, on the wall. Mm-hmm. You know, my aunt, uh, she was a crabber. She de- was lost at sea. She's on that wall. You had a couple aunts that were crabbers, you mm-hmm. said. Yeah. Their whole lives? Pretty much. Yeah, you come from that family. Yeah. Yeah. They were rough and tough gals, too. Yeah. Well, they, you have to be. Yeah, right. If you're a rough and tough guy, and that's <laughs> the sea will make you equal in a, in a quick hurry. Yeah. You know, it makes you makes you do the job. Well, we're about out of time, Nick. Uh, I can't thank you enough for coming by and talking to us today. Anytime, man. I really enjoyed my time here. I will let you have the final word for anything that you'd like to say. Yeah. Well, I'm... <laughs> I'm pretty happy just answering your questions. No, it was it was a blast here, guys. Uh, thanks for listening to the galley stories. This has been a blast. And uh, make sure that you guys uh, that you're eating wild Alaska product, wild caught. 
let's not do any farm stuff. And if you can't eat wild Alaska product, at least make sure that it's wild. All right. We'll see you guys next time. Thanks, See Nick. you guys. Thanks for listening to Galley Stories. We hope you like what the net brought in. Please leave us a review on iTunes, whether you like it or not. We're not fishing for compliments. Look us up on Facebook and Twitter, too. And reach out to us at galleystories at gmail.com.